Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the State Historian at UConn Hartford and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. The man you're about to meet has been a family connector and a freedom fighter for the last 250 years. You'll learn his amazing stories in The Three Lives of Kevin Johnson, coming up right now on Grading the Nutmeg. History has often been described as the present having a conversation with the past. On this episode of Grading the Nutmeg, we're going to meet with a person who makes those conversations both real and personal. I'm state historian Walt Woodward, and today I'm at the Connecticut State Library with Kevin Johnson, who for more than 20 years has been living the lives of three different people. As Kevin Johnson, he's been a technical assistant in the State Library's History and Genealogy Unit helping guide people to the historical records that will help them connect with the lives of family members from other times. As someone who has worked with Kevin in this regard, I can tell you he's one of the most helpful, knowledgeable, and welcoming people you would ever want to meet. But that's just one of Kevin's lives. For more than 20 years, Kevin Johnson has also been visiting classrooms, historical societies, libraries, and civic groups as Private William Riley Webb. Did I get it right? Mm-hmm. A Civil War soldier in the 29th Colored Regiment of the Connecticut Volunteer Infantry. As William Webb, Johnson brings the role of African Americans in the Civil War fight for freedom to life in a vividly personal and riveting way. Mm-hmm. And he makes that historic conversation with the past a two-way exchange between excited learners and a Civil War veteran. In recent years, Kevin has also been appearing as the eyewitness to the American Revolution, Jordan Freeman, the African-American servant to Colonel William Ledyard, commander of the American troops at Fort Griswold in Groton, massacred by Benedict Arnold's troops in 1781. In all of his lives, Kevin Johnson is a consummate educator and historian with a marvelous gift for connecting with others and making history come alive. Kevin, it is so nice to have you here on Grading the Nutmeg, and it's just great to be here at the State Library with you. Wow, it's great to see you, uh, Walt, on this fine day. Uh, Always great just sitting and chatting with you uh, every time you make a visit here. And and I have to tell you, I'm looking across the table at this handsome man (laughs) in a Civil War Union blue suit. I'm having trouble knowing which Kevin I should be talking to. But what I'm hoping we can do today is talk a little bit about each of your three lives as a public-facing member of the History and Genealogy Division as Civil War volunteer William Webb, and as the eyewitness to revolution Jordan Freeman. Yes. You good with that? I'm good with that. Excellent. So let's start with your day job. How did you come to work in the History and Genealogy Division of the State Library, and what exactly do you do here? Uh, Thinking back to how I arrived here at the Connecticut State Library, uh, starting out actually working on the, the Chart Oak Bridge tolls, and when the tolls were closed down, they began to send us to different avenues, and I landed here uh, at the Connecticut State Library. Uh, it was just the, the best landing I could have ever had. And what uh, year was that? That was 1988, May wow. of 1988. Here it is now, some 30-plus years later. 
Uh, still, and you haven't aged a bit, haven't have aged you? a bit. Still 29 <laughs> years old. Uh, still hanging in here, but just a great landing. Uh, and just to be able to be a part of this great staff and this great agency where we here at the State Library help people find their family history. For someone who's never been to the State Library and they're interested in their family history, what is it that the State Library can offer them that'll help them make those connections? Oh, we offer so much uh, from uh, vital records to court documents to probate uh, state papers uh, through our record group collection, handling all types of records uh, of the state. So when a person comes in looking for your family history, uh, what we would ask you to do is, you know, gather as much information that you can uh, about your family. Talk to the elders of your family. Uh, Begin to go back as far as you can. Uh, get those oral stories. Try to find as much dates. Uh, that helps us to be able to better help you. Uh, so when you come in, all you got to do is now meet with one of our great reference staff librarians and just uh, present what you have. And then they'll walk you through our collection of uh, different things that can be able to lead you to finding your connection to the past. And then the other piece of my job is uh, working in the archives area. And that's just the exciting part of dealing with those primary documents. When someone comes into the library, the state Supreme Court and the library share the same building. Yes. And it's this imposing building across from the state capitol. It could be, and I know the first time I came in, I felt a little intimidated by this place. You might think an ordinary person look, trying to understand their family history better might come in and feel intimidated. Is this a place just for historians and professional genealogists? No, no, this is a place for, for anyone to come uh, that's interested in just looking at anything uh, about Connecticut history. Uh, it is a very welcoming building, although it looks intimidating, uh, but it is very welcoming. And once you come through the door, our staff is great uh, to make you feel welcome. Uh, walking you through whatever uh, aspect of history you're looking for. Uh, it could be town history, it could be your, your local church history, uh, anything that you're looking for. Uh, we try to make that uh, inviting uh, as well as welcoming, so it's, it's not as scary as it may appear. As a historian who's worked in archives all over the country, I, I, was, I was telling Kevin this before we started taping, in so many ways, working at the Connecticut State Library is the best archival experience I've ever Ever had and it all comes down to both the vast resources you have here but most especially the people who work here you are so professional but also so welcoming and friendly it's a it's a real tribute to the library staff and the management that you've managed to keep the important job of protecting the archives with a commitment to customer service that makes people feel really welcome when they come good for you um wow, thank you all what should someone do if they decide, they're sitting out there, they've been working on their family history, and they'd like to know more, and what should they do before they come or when they come here? How can they come prepared to give you the information that will help you help them? All right. Uh, there's that uh, genealogy chart uh, that you definitely want to start with, uh, starting with yourself looking at your parents, your grandparents, uh, just begin backtracking, uh, finding all that information, but bring as much information that you have. If there's obituary paper, uh, documents or any documents that you may have that could help us to be able to help you better. Uh, so gather as much information that you can gather uh, and then present it. 
And then we're able to help you kind of sort it out, uh, figure out which direction to send you uh, pertaining to our collection uh, that gets you through. You know, there, there's a lot of people think, I think, who do family history now are doing it, uh, you know, through Ancestry.com yes. or other websites like that. Are there resources here that people might not find on Ancestry.com if they've got a Connecticut family or they've got people back there? Do you have things that they wouldn't find online? Right, yeah, there's a number of items that are definitely not online yet. Uh, as we know, in this uh, Internet age, uh, everything is being on online, but there's many of our primary documents that have not been uh filmed yet for online purposes. Uh, so you still have to come here. Uh, you need to come to look at those primary documents. If it's pertaining to old court records from the 1700s or 1800s, you won't find a number of those online yet. Uh, we are creating a number of databases, uh, but there are many, many items that you need to come and actually visit us here that you will not find uh, online. So if you've got questions about Connecticut relatives and you, even if you've exhausted all the resources on Ancestry.com, come see Kevin. <laughs> come, come see the State Library, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, he, we, we might be able to help you. We he should may be have to something you. else. <laughs> uh, you know, I hope more and more people will come as COVID permits yes. and make use of these fabulous resources. It's, it's one of the most rewarding experiences a genealogist or historian can have. And that's your first life. Yes. And, and you've been doing it for how long now? Ah, uh, this is over 30 years. Uh, I've been in this building 33 years now. Well, uh, you may want to look at library jobs, too, because <laughs> apparently it's a fountain of youth. Uh, but let's move on to, to talk about one of your other lives. Yes. Because while you've been here for 30 years, for more than 20 years, you've been appearing in public in Civil War uniform, as you are today, with bedroll and canteen, as William Riley Webb. Tell us about who he was and how you came to know about him and know him enough to become him in public. Wow. Uh, that's, that's a great, great question, Walt. Uh, takes me back uh, to when I first was asked uh, to share the story of Private Webb. Uh, how we got started and how I got started uh, our agency was asked uh, by the Bushnell Foundation to do something to honor the black soldiers for the Freedom Trail. And so Dean Nelson, our museum director, comes over to me one day at work. He says, hey, Kev, how would you like to become Denzel Washington for a moment? Uh, remind me of Denzel's character from the movie Glory. And you know what I said, Walt? I said, sure. Uh, put on the Civil War uniform. We marched down to Bushnell Park to the Soldiers and Sailors Monument. Uh, standing there, taking a series of photographs uh, for the article that we were getting ready to put out. And this gentleman from UConn comes over, and he is looking at me, and he's staring very hard. And he comes, he says, you remind me of the Buffalo Soldiers. So we started talking about the Buffalo Soldiers and their journey. We told him, no, not one of the Buffalo Soldiers. He looks close. He says, you sure you're not Denzel Washington? I'm like, no, no, not Denzel. <laughs> uh, but then we started talking about Connecticut. Uh, and the 29th, and how Connecticut enlisted two black regiments, uh, the 29th and the 30th. So the gentleman says, well, Kev, you sound like you know a great deal. How about coming over to university and just talking to a couple of classes about the story? Um, thinking about it and saying, wow, this is exciting, get a chance to share. 
And Dean is behind me going, Kev, don't do it, man. Don't do it. And he says, why? He says, because once you take one Civil War presentation, you will never, ever stop telling the story. <laughs> I think Dean was actually correct. Dean knew uh, what he was talking about. That was February 10th of 1998. Had no idea. Here it is. Uh, 22, 23 years later, still sharing the story. Uh, the new season begins in September and got a couple of dates in October and would have never imagined, Walt, uh, sharing this story over 600 times, uh, wow. going into schools and libraries, historical societies, churches all across the state. Because I've seen you do it, and uh, it's a really powerful experience. I'm looking at you in the uniform, <laughs> and I know, you know, at the snap of my fingers, I could be talking to William Webb himself. Tell us about him. Who was he? What's his story? And how did you find it out? Wow, that that's great. Um, how, it's, how it started, after being invited to that to talk at UConn on that date of February 10th, had to find someone. Uh, actually, I just was dressed that day as a Civil War soldier not actually identifying as Private Webb. And so went back to the library and scrolled down the enlistment papers and saw this gentleman, Private Webb. But I think now, Walt, that I don't believe we selected Private Webb. I believe his story selected me to share it. You found his name. Name, yes. But you now know a tremendous amount more about him. Yeah. So how did you come to all this information? And this is back to your earlier question of what we do here at the State Library. So I began to become a researcher, you know, and research, finding his family, uh, going through the vital records, found his mom, her marriage to his stepdad, uh, found documents pertaining to his life through the census documents, found his war records from start to finish, uh, his marriage, his enlistment paper, his discharge paper, began to look at all those different angles of his story uh, and began to follow him through the regimental history. And then it comes now to piecing all of those uh, documents together and creating the story of Private Webb. So you, you took all these pieces of research yes. that you were able to find, identifying bits and pieces of his life, but now you've got to take these, they're important facts, but they're small facts, and turn them into a living human being that's wearing that uniform and talking to people. Yes. How'd you do it? Oh, that, that, that part, uh, I'm still working on. I'm still, it still fascinates me. Uh, every time, as I was sharing with you earlier, when I put on the uniform, uh, it's a totally different experience for me. Uh, it's not something that I take lightly. Uh, I say throughout the program that freedom, it sounds good, it sounds nice, got to be free. These men were really fighting for that liberation, you know, fighting, saving the union, but also liberating themselves at the same time. So saying that statement, that hook line, really means a great deal for me. So when I put the uniform on, we're living out, I'm living out that freedom uh, that many of them didn't get a chance to fully exercise. And so... Uh, the uniform does transform me. It, it's something that the moment I'm asked to go, my nerves are going, uh, I'm excited. Uh, also, at the same time, wanting to just really get across the African-American experience of the American Civil War and that desire and hope for freedom. And so, so it is a, an exciting moment for me. It's nerve-wracking, but also it's thrilling. When you become William Webb, you're honoring that sacrifice yes. that these people made to gain the freedom that you are living today. Yes. That, and, and that, I'm telling you, that comes through. You can see it in your eyes. 
uh, and I, I'm going to put you on the spot now, and you can decide whether or not. I, you know, it's hard to describe for people just how magic this is. Mm. Do you think that you could maybe assume the role of William Webb in some part of your presentation and just give us a little taste of what it's like? Would that? Would you be comfortable doing that? You put me on the spot. <laughs> and I, listen, you don't have to. I'm just hoping if we could take a piece of it and people could hear you know, what goes on, maybe get a feel for it, they'd be, yes. they would yes. understand. Said, I'm free, praise the Lord, I'm free, no longer bound, there's no more chains holding me, and my soul is resting, and it's such a blessing. To praise the Lord, hallelujah, I'm free. Freedom said it sounds good and it sounds nice. Got to be free. Greetings to all of you. My name is Private William Riley Salisbury Webb of the 29th Connecticut Volunteers, and I fought in the Civil War. Now, that old song that you heard me come in on was what our fight was all about, an opportunity and a chance at freedom. When I think back until the time of enlistment, I can still hear Sergeant Alexander Newton say, I enlist until this conflict, until the clanking of slave chains shall be heard no more. Listen, there's no more clanking, there's no more slave chains. Said, I'm free, praise the Lord, I'm free. Freedom said it sounds good and it sounds nice, got to be free. That is awesome. Now, that takes a lot out of me. Well, oh, that takes man, a lot. Man, I, I, I like your voice too, man. It's pretty good. Tell me about what happens when, when you go into a classroom. As a historian, I know that the challenge is always mm. to connect people to history in a way that's meaningful. But I've watched you do it. And just, just tell me what, what it's like for the students who come in. What, what, what's that experience like wow. for you and for them? Yes, um, backtrack just a moment, uh, gather those facts, uh, put the facts together that we were able to find about Private Web's life, story time, uh, to be able to put it into a story form, uh, looking at the regimental history and combining Connecticut's journey in the Civil War, uh, African-American movements. So I had to put it into a story. When I first started, just started to give a speech but then the more I thought about it, it became more alive for me. Uh, it became more than just words on a piece of paper. Uh, I was moving. And now to take it into a classroom, how do you leave that with uh, a class? So first thing we did was got a uniform. I needed a uniform that if the students didn't remember any word I said, but visibly they would know Connecticut had a black soldier uh, that served in the Civil War. So that was the first objective. Uh, secondly was to make history come alive. Uh, what is the impact that you wanted to leave with the students? And so that song that you heard me sing is an old Negro spiritual. Uh, that song has two meanings, freedom from slavery and then freedom when you die. Uh, going to heaven. So that song was vital. My grandparents made us learn that song. So I had to learn it, and then it became a part of the story. Uh, and then getting it over, uh, looking into the students' eyes, uh, really making them feel uh, the story. And that part dives into 
uh, the performance art, uh, the acting ability. I'm not a trained actor for those that are listening, uh, but just my passion, uh, passion for history and then as a storyteller. So walking into the classroom, I come in surprisingly uh, with that old spiritual that you heard me saying, clanking away, uh, making a grand entrance. So, you, so you're you're hitting uh, against your canteen yeah. or against your mess kit? Against or? my canteen yeah. and my, my cup, uh, making a lot of noise, uh, making a grand entrance, then singing that old song, and then right into the story and the character, uh, going through the first battle. But looking at the students, there are points... Uh, within the story that you could see them just following. And then for me as a presenter, uh, that pulls more. It makes you want to just give more and more and more. So I'm dripping sweat because uh, I'm pouring everything you I give, have. Right. When, when you see you do this, it is a, I mean, you say you're not an actor. It's like it's not acting. Mm. And that's, that's probably the best acting is when wow. you, you actually... You just lose your disbelief, and you're, you're right there, and you're thinking, this is the real guy. And, and you can see it in the eyes of the kids. When you are doing William Webb, those eyes get, you know, plate big, and, and they're right there with you. Yeah. Now, William Webb, this is an interesting thing about his story. He enlisted a month after Connecticut made it possible for African Americans to serve. So he signed up almost right away, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and people wonder, you know, did he see much combat? What was the story? He was actually in battles, yes. right? When did he sign up for the service? Uh, December 22nd of 1863 was when he enlisted. Uh, they were mustered into battle or uh, to war until March of 1864. Of 1864. Uh, then leaving here uh, in April of 64, getting ready to go down to the Virginia area, uh, where they were now entering into their first battle. And that was just a whole ordeal for our guys preparing to go to battle for their first time and then going over to Bermuda 100, serving. So he did see some action. Then he found him a number of times where he was in the hospital, was sick with the flu, so he was ill a couple of times, but definitely saw some action in some battles. And so that was the intriguing part of his life. Connecticut soldiers fought in five, but they would say major battles for themselves, one being the major was Kell House, battle. Uh, and where and, was Kell House? I, I found that story really interesting yeah. because that was a battle where the 29th got real respect for its fighting ability, Correct, right? yes. So what happened there? In that battle uh, down in uh, Kell House, uh, October of 1864, two-day battle that they're battling hard, holding back a rebel's attack, uh, and here they lose their 80 guys from the area, uh, New Haven, uh, Bridgeport, New London, Hartford area, uh, and really gained respect uh, after that battle and went on to uh, move now uh, further towards the close of the Civil War. Uh, but that was an important key battle for those gentlemen. And for William Webb, he, he paid a real price for his service, didn't he? He had an eye injury. Yeah. What uh, happened? Losing do you, do the, you know how he got the injury? The, the report from the eye uh, seeming to be, you know, something going into the eye uh, during that moment. Then began to deteriorate the eye and later discharge yeah. uh, in March of 60, 65. And then he came back to Connecticut, right? Come back to Connecticut. Uh, we found him here, as I shared with you earlier, uh, on Front Street. Uh, lived in a house on Front Street with a couple of other soldiers uh, that he stayed there with. 
And then he worked as a, a laborer, field laborer, and later dies in 1868, where his probate is estated out of Ellington, and he's left with the house and $25. Now, let's talk a, a little bit about his life and the details you were able to uncover about him, because it's fascinating to me that, and I think this is a sign of what the archives can produce. He, he, he was born, and like, like a lot of young people, you know, he had a little trouble finding his way at the beginning, seemed like, didn't it? it or is that, is that oh, fair yeah. to say about yeah. it? Yeah, oh, that is very fair. Um, I remember looking at the story and finding some of the unpleasantries uh, in the history uh, where he had committed a crime and thinking, boy, do I really want to share the story? So I'm toiling as a presenter. How do you share it? But then one of our old reference librarians, uh, Ms. Bev Naylor, says to me, Kev, you got to share the story. I say, well, why, Ms. Bev? And she says, because he's an ordinary guy caught up in this extraordinary moment. And so that pulled me, not knowing also, Walt, that his life would lead us to be able to share more about what we have far as records. Uh, because his life spanned through a number of our uh, archival documents, from court cases to probate to vital. So now even presenting his story, we can lead people more uh, into areas for their own family history. Well, it is, it, it is a fascinating story to me because, uh, fortunately, there's a page on the State Library website that shows some of the primary yes. sources for Private Webb or for William Webb. And... Uh, what he did is he and a friend went to Stafford and they broke into like a, a, a we would call it a department store. It wasn't a department store, but they they stole some clothes. Yes, didn't sir. They? Yes, That's sir. all they took. Yeah. They took clothes. Yeah. But and it was to the tune. It didn't seem like much to me reading it because it like totaled thirty nine or forty dollars. But that's. Thirty-nine or forty dollars in Civil War days, not today. So right. it, it it was a fair amount of money, but you know he was caught, right, mm -hmm. and he's put in jail. His friend, I think, went to trial, but he, you know, William Webb wasn't. He didn't want to go to trial. Yeah. <laughs> as you know, uh, even as I share within the story uh, that he's sent over now to Tallinn Prison, and he gets out, breaks out of Tallinn Prison, uh, he's captured, and he's given uh, two more years to a sentence, and he lands over at the Weathersfield State Prison, which is now where our Department of Motor Vehicle Office is. And so he's there uh, for his four years. Of and, and he had been married before this happened, right? Yes. And while he's in prison... His wife divorces him? Yes. This is a young man who went through, who, had, who walked trials. a tough road. But when the chance came to fight for freedom, you know, just like the song says, he jumped at it. Yes, he? yes. And that's the, 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 the gripping part for me with the story, even going back into the schools. Uh, when I get to his life of what he did as far as his crime, uh, many of the students that may not pay attention. When I get to that part, kids look up, and now here come reality. You know, it's just not this guy here in this Civil War uniform. So now this is a real person, you know, and that's what the students pick up, you know, mistakes. And so I cover those even in the, the, the Q&A of how we can change and turn our life around. So I, I use those motivation moments uh, to be able to build a solid foundation, uh, even with this part of his history 
and this past uh, to, to turn it around, that you we know, can all turn it around. Then as now, there have been a lot of people whose lives were turned around by going into the service and the time they spend in the service. And for William Webb, this is service with a directly powerful personal mission. Yes. But unfortunately for him, he gets injured. He is discharged from the service because he's losing his eyesight. And when the war ends, what's the rest of his story? His story is he comes back home, he's on Front Street uh, working as a laborer, and then he pretty much just dies, you know, he dies from there. When did he die? What year? It's 1868. Um, Still looking for where he's buried. So that is my my search. I don't know where he's buried. So uh, if anyone is listening uh, on this great show, please, if you find something. uh, We still don't know where he's buried, but I'm searching all types of Cemetery documents, I believe it's an unmarked grave, but hopefully somewhere along the line we'll be able to find uh, where he's buried. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? And to be able to just at least put a marker uh, there uh, after 20-plus years of telling his story and the story of the 29th, uh, I would want to do that justice. Uh, that would bring closure to the character for me as well as for William Webb. And so uh, that part I'm excited for. I'm looking, hopefully, when I stop presenting at some point. Uh, but I don't think the public is going to let me go just yet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've been trying to pull back for no, a number of that years. that ain't going to happen, man. And so that, that part hasn't happened. But just a great story for me. Um, and I really enjoy sharing it. It's my passion that you hear uh, and telling the story. We're still uncovering uh, facts as we go. Uh, so it never ends. I mean, even with the divorce, that was something that we found uh, 19 years later. Uh, didn't find that document, knew, but didn't find a document until 19 years later. And so that lets us know, and for your listeners, uh, never give up yeah. uh, on, your, on your research. Don't, don't stop. That's uh, great. There, there is always more to find. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the exciting part. So keep searching, keep searching, keep searching. So you are both a historian and a reenactor. I've always wondered about this. I think you, you, your reenactments are about as good as, as reenactment can get. What's the difference between presenting yourself as Private William Webb and giving somebody a really well-written story about Private mm. William Webb. Uh, that's a, that's a, a great comment and thought. Uh, one of the things that the school teachers would say, many of them coming in and sharing the story, is it brings it alive. Uh, now you're putting uh, personality or feeling uh, in something that that is just in books, you know, that you can't always pull out. And so one of the things for me, I try to tap into that. Uh, what is that emotion? What, what, what is going on in the setting? And that's where the history come in, uh, understanding the period and trying to shape the story around the period uh, the best that we can. And, and that's where the emotion comes in. What kind of questions do, do kids ask you after you? What oh, I kind of get, things they want to I know? I can get questions from, do the soldier, how do the soldiers uh, clean themselves? Uh, what foods do they eat? Uh, the number one question is, what crime did he commit? Uh, what was it like uh, being an African-American soldier? Uh, what was the uh, challenges uh, that African-American soldiers faced? Uh, was there prejudice going on? Uh, so the questions can go from, from as simple as the, uh, the uniform 
to as deep as who, what would have happened if the South would have won the Civil War. Uh, so they're all over the place. So I just try to have enough uh, knowledge and information and do a lot of reading, uh, both the published and primary documents. So I'm always learning. Uh, definitely by no way know everything. There's, there's too many stories. There's too many stories that we just don't know uh, to say that we know everything about it. And so uh, I try to just have a good handle uh, on what questions they may ask and try to give them a good answer. And if I can't, I can always come back to the state library <laughs> and I can research it out and then email the teacher. I had to do that a couple of times. Well, they got uh, some really helpful people here, so <laughs> you should look them up. Do you feel like you and William Webb change lives? We do. We do. There are moments um, when I totally lose myself within the story, uh, within the character. Um, I remember, as they say about actors, I had to do a presentation over at the Tyler Historical Society. Uh, this, the, and the part of the society is within where the cells were, uh, where William Webb probably would have stayed. And one of the curators says, Kev, we could look at where the old cells were to see if William Webb was in this cell. I say, I like my character, but I don't know if I want to go through that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's a little too much reality, right? So let's let's move along to your third life. Now, last weekend was the anniversary of, I think it was the most significant conflict. It was certainly one of the two most significant conflicts in Connecticut in the American Revolutionary War. And it's one that is uh, notorious because it was part of the attack by Benedict Arnold, once a Revolutionary War hero, now a traitor gone over to the British, and he came back to New London where he had lived and worked, and his troops burned the town, and they crossed the river into Groton, and they went up to the fort at Groton Heights, and there was just a, a terrible battle there that produced what many people call the massacre at Fort Griswold. Historians have debated whether it's a massacre or not, but whatever you want to call it, the American defenders there, many of them were killed after they surrendered. Yes. And you, this weekend, were at the actual fort, and you were there not as William Webb, but you were there as your third life, Jordan Freeman. Yes. Who was he? Why was he in the fort? And tell us about his story. Wow. That was uh, the 240th uh, anniversary of the Battle of Fort Griswold. Uh, Jordan Freeman's story. Uh, sharing so much of Private Webb, I've, in my research, stumbled across a couple of books uh, that really gripped me. One was William C. Nell's book, of The Colored Patriots in the American Revolution. And our friend David White, uh, historian that used to work here at the State Library, put together Connecticut Black Soldiers and had a a page uh, in the book uh, with a photograph of Jordan Freeman uh, killing this British uh, officer. And that intrigued me. And so I wanted to know, well, who is Jordan Freeman? Uh, like many of us, we saw the plaque, uh, heard the story, but had no idea who Jordan Freeman was. So I'm being intrigued. Now, I want to know who this yeah, guy there, is. There's a plaque with his name on it among the other people who died at the fort yes. at Fort Griswold, right, yes, on yep. the monument. No, on the monument, yeah. yep. So his name is there along with Lambert Latham, uh, another African-American that was killed at the battle. So their names are there. Uh, 
as uh, individuals who died at the battle. And then there's the big boulder uh, that Jordan Freeman, they think is the area where he may have killed uh, Major Montgomery. Uh, the boulder is there uh, with a plaque of him uh, actually piking that, that officer. And so for me, that intrigued me. I wanted to know about him a little bit more. So I began to do some research here, uh, talking to uh, the staff, our, my colleagues, and trying to find as much as we can. So we went into the archives. We were able to kind of piece together what we could find, uh, possibly his date of birth, 1732. Uh, and then it jumps to uh, one of the New London documents where it gives his marriage uh, to Miss Lily, who was the servant of Miss Mary Prentice. And then it goes into his life with Colonel Ledyard and hanging out and being his body servant up into his death. Uh, so we are still piecing those important major details together, but we know the greatest detail of his life is being killed at the Battle of Fort Griswold, him taking part there. Uh, and that part, which I try to really convey of not only his life, but the journey of the African-American soldier uh, during the American Revolution. And this moment when he kills this Briti British officer, Montgomery, when does this happen, and why is it so important in both understanding him and understanding that battle? He well, well, that, well, it's important to thinking with African-Americans, uh, you know, him not being enlisted. He didn't enlist in the war, but he's along with Colonel Ledyard, uh, but during the time of the war, if there was an African-American who uh, killed uh, an officer or a British soldier, uh, that was instant freedom. That was uh, legacy. You know, that was a great deal. And Jordan Freeman gets this opportunity, uh, rushing over to the battle, not having to be there, but goes, along with Lambert Latham. And here they enter the fort. Uh, the massacre's going on, and uh, there the battle takes place, and... Jordan Pikes, uh, Major Montgomery. Now, when you say Pikes, he, like, stabs him with this long, yeah. it's like a lance almost with a spear point correct, on the end. Correct, correct. Yeah. And not having a weapon, but that being his only weapon. Um, and, you know, that was the journey even then. Do we give blacks weapons uh, during the American Revolution? So uh, historians will look at this on all angles and uh, these uh, major parts of the American Revolution pertaining to African Americans. Do we allow them to fight? Don't we allow them to fight? Do we set them free? Uh, so all these different turns that go on. So when I share that story, Walt, I am so emotional oh, because I think it's a more of a turbulent time. Well, and what happens to uh, Jordan Freeman after he kills Montgomery? Does he earn his freedom? Uh, he's already, as most of the documents and, and oral report has it, that he's already a free person. Uh, one, given the name Freeman, uh, many African Americans that you would see after liberation, emancipation, or manumission would change their so name. So that was his sign that, that he was, was his a sign. Freeman. Yes, and and he was he was servant to Colonel, Colonel Ledyard, Ledyard. Mm -hmm. and Colonel Ledyard was the commander of the fort. Yes, right? yes. So what happened to Ledyard? So Ledyard at the battle. You know, he makes the great declaration. Uh, the British Army is planning their attack, uh, sends the scout, says, who commands the fort? Ledger stands boldly, I do, rejects it. He's going to die he, for the he's fort. He's not going to surrender. He's not going to surrender. He's holding the fort. He's going to hold the fort. And as they enter in, 800 British soldiers to 150 militiamen, and they're overtaken, and Ledger realizes, I need to save lives rather than lose lives tried to surrender, and uh, has that he's killed with his own sword. And so he, he's, he, 
The story as I heard it, and it, this is one that, you know, again, historians debate, but he hands his sword over to the British commander and says, you know, the, the fort is it's now yours, yours yeah. or something. And then the commander takes it and runs him through, right? Yes. And, and I have often heard that Freeman's then response to take the pike and go kill Montgomery is sort of a revenge for what they just did for, you know, stabbing to death the man who surrendered the fort, which theoretically would have ended the battle. Correct. And instead, the British just used that to start killing everybody around mm-hmm. him. And uh, Freeman then says, okay, I'm going to go get the officer and gets it. But did he, did he then escape the fort or he paid too? Yes, uh, Jordan Freeman actually dies at the battle. Uh, he's killed right after he kills Major Montgomery and he dies. Lambert Latham also, the other African-American that's there, he dies. Uh, and the story has it he's bayoneted 33 times. Uh, so he's massacred. Uh, Jordan Freeman is killed uh, right after that, and uh, that ends his story uh, with that ho- heroic uh, death there. So every time I portray his story, it uh, does me good because I get a chance to play an American hero. And so that part of the story, as turbulent as the times are and were, uh, makes me proud uh, to really be able to share that story. Doing Jordan Freeman has to be a wonderful experience anytime, but to do it on the 240th yes, anniversary yes, yes, in the place yes. where it happened, what did that feel like? Now, now I, I have to share that with you because that was a moment for me. Uh, knowing I'm getting this opportunity to present at the fort. I've presented around the fort. I've gone into the fort, but I've never presented in the fort. Uh, this was a moment. Uh, I'm nervous. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, all my emotions are going, and I'm, I'm in the spot uh, to where Jordan uh, possibly dies, and I'm asked to present. And so I'm, I'm, I'm geared up for it, and it just was an awesome experience. Uh, the, the, the audience that was there on Saturday really enjoyed it, and that was just moving for me. Uh, one lady comes over and she says, you had me in tears uh, just going through different parts of it. And that's the part for me, Walt, that really takes me on this emotional roller coaster because it's, it's freedom, it's taken away, it's, it's hope, it's taken away, but it's still building. And so as a presenter, as an actor, I try to get all that across. But to stand there and, and in that spot was just awesome. So at the end of this, Presentation is done. I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited. At the end of this, uh, there was an article that I found, uh, 1973 Bicentennial Gazette, the fall of 73. They're reenacting the battle for a movie scene. And it's this African-American gentleman who's portraying Jordan Freeman. And really a buff guy, you know, so I got to get in the gym. I got to get in the gym. He's buff. And he actually is showing a scene of him sparing Major Montgomery. So after... We present, and I'm greeting the audience, and we're sharing library information. Uh, one of the gentlemen who pro- portrays Benedict Arnold, uh, he says, Kev, I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually relive this Jordan Freeman moment and pike a British officer. So I'm really nervous, but I'm excited. So we take this picture shoot, and I uh, showed you the photos, and that was just an experience in itself to be able to relive uh, Jordan's last moment, but also his heroic moment. 
and that so you was actually me. reenacted him piking. What did yeah. what did that feel like? Oh, that was, you know, th- that was just the moment there of of what was going on in his mind. You know, one is survival. You know, so he's got to survive, but also this is a, a a pike for freedom, for liberty, for independence, and so all of that is in there. Uh, and that emotion that's tied up, you know, Colonel Ledger's dead, Lambert Latham's dead, you know, I got to survive. And so all that's caught up, but also liberation, you know. And as I say at the close, and for those that may come and see me, I can't give you all the pieces of the yeah. story. <laughs> I got to say something, you know. Yeah. But, but, but in the closing point, uh, I say I'm free. Uh, so his freedom comes uh, after his death. And so here he is in that moment of piking, but also moments later dying, uh, freedom is there. And so at the cause of death, you know, freedom comes. And so uh, that was just a a huge moment to be able to reenact that, uh, to relive that moment there for me. So I I thank uh, Kevin, uh, who portrayed Benedict Arnold, uh, he was excited because he wanted to give me that opportunity. And I wanted to make sure I shared that with your audience. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, I had to share that piece because that was awesome for me. Well, it's, it's just to hear about it is moving. I, I don't think anybody can bring that story to life the way that you do. It's wow. just it's pretty remarkable. I sometimes think, Kevin, when I think about your three lives, as Jordan Freeman, as William Webb, and as Kevin Johnson, who helps people connect with family, that that really all those three lives are connected because they're about the fight for freedom, the fight for freedom for African Americans and for the, you know those family connections that survive over time. What is the difference between Jordan Freeman's fight for freedom. How does that story differ from the story of William Webb and its importance? Is it part of the same thing or is it a, a different story? Wow, that's, that's a really deep, deep, deep question uh, that, that really uh, uh, moves me uh, just in the question and in the Q&A too that I would share many times uh, because it goes back to the country's history, uh, the founding of our great land. And so one of the things I try to always get across with that freedom aspect, as I titled that story, uh, this thing called freedom, uh, because that is the hope. Uh, as we know, understanding the period, persons of color, the darker your complexion were, more likely the chances of you were going to be enslaved. And so hope uh, was always brewing. I mean, when you think to the French and Indian War, uh, blacks were always willing to fight and to be free. Uh, that was the journey. And so I try to really uh, tap into that experience that wasn't just comfortable at wanting to just be a captive. No, 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 no. It's bigger than that. Our freedom was pulling you. So that's what made them want to enlist. That's what made them want to take part uh, in this, this freedom fight, you know, understanding uh, what comes with freedom. Uh, freedom comes with the right to be able to do, you know, and to move freely without no hindrances. Uh, that's freedom, you know. And so uh, they wanted it. Uh, being, being enslaved, being captives, wanted that freedom. And so for Jordan uh, and those men of the American Revolution, that was the pulling. That was the calling card, you know, and showing our bravery. 
you know, showing that we understand uh, that we want the same things you want, you know, give us that opportunity yeah. and we will yeah. prove what freedom is all about, you know? And so that pull uh, for Jordan is in the American Revolution is the hope. And so without hope, we die. And so moving, and I think about the uh, family Nero Hawley and his great-grandson or grandson, Augusta, who served in the 29th. So I could just imagine, like, he serves in the American Revolution. His great-grandson serves in the uh, Civil War. So just think about the conversation. That those two That the family, oh, that they're still longing for freedom. You know, still see the desire. So you're going from the Rev War to the Civil War and this family connection. And so many families have this this connection of wanting this thing of freedom and willing to die, uh, pay the price for it uh, with your life. And so those two stories for me is, is connecting, but is also uh, two different periods, you know, of, of this same hope. But yet, it's not. It hasn't Different arrived. Different expression. Different expression. In yes. The, in the, oddly enough, in the war for independence, it's the hope for freedom. In the Civil War, it's the fight for freedom. Yes. And in some ways, that fight continues in a different way, even into the present. Yes. Kevin Johnson, this has been just a great interview. You you are. You are one of the public historians I most admire, both mm. because of the passion you bring to your work and because of the transformative effects I see it have on the people who get to see you present. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Oh, thank you, Walt. You've always been a great inspiration and a friend uh, down through the years. I just appreciate you for what you do and who you are. Uh, continue to do great work. Oh, you just made my day, Kevin. <laughs> well, let's go get to work, shall we? Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. To book Private William Webb or Revolutionary War Hero Jordan Freeman for a visit to your organization, contact the Connecticut State Library staff at 860-757-6580 or check the William Webb page on the Connecticut State Library website. By the way, while recording this podcast, we found that Kevin has actually been living a fourth life, too, as minister at the Workman AME Church in Torrington. Wow, the man who does everything. For more great Connecticut history stories, subscribe to Connecticut Explored magazine at ctexplored.org. And for a story every day, visit todayinconnecticuthistory.com. I'm Walt Woodward, hoping you'll join us next time for another episode of Grading the Nutmeg.